Learning how to grow your business, that is your job. Being the one to do everything in your business, however, is not. Welcome to That's Not My Job, an introvert's guide to building a business beyond yourself. All right, so let's go ahead and dive right in. I'm here with Travis from Rotate Digital, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with him today. And I think there's going to be a lot of nuggets um, for those listening in um, on, you know, it's it's more, you know, unique where Travis has already scaled a business, has, you know, has a good sized team and is already doing, you know, really well. And in, I'm not going to, you know, go into all the details. I'll let Travis jump into that himself. Um, so Travis, why don't you go ahead and share with the audience, you know, what, what is your company? Um, what do you specialize in and doing you know, kind of how you got started in that? And, you know, what does your team size look like and, you know, revenue look like for your company um, today? Yeah. Thanks so much, Cody, for having me on. I'm excited to be here, excited to share nuggets and get nuggets uh, in, in return. And I think it'll be a, a fun time. So uh, yeah. I am. Travis, I am the kind of the owner founder. I act as like CEO uh, of Rotate Digital and we are a digital marketing agency and we specialize in SEO and websites. And that's kind of really where our core service offering is right now. And then we've niched that down into offering that for moving company owners. And so we, um, we've basically kind of where we're at today, we've got about 30 or so team members um, here, uh, both overseas and here in the United States. And we've, uh, over the last, I started this in 2019, basically at the beginning of 2019. And so we've doubled every year. Um, and this last year is actually the first year that we have not doubled. Um, which really, really hurts my pride a little bit. Um, but it's been a great it learning. It's harder, you know, as you keep growing, it's like the doubles become so much bigger. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's a fun story to tell people, but it's not as fun when you're like, all right, it was a 30% increase this year. You know, I was like, ah, <laughs> doesn't sound as sexy, but it was, you know, it was good, especially, you know, a lot of times everyone's kind of concerned about, um, scaling a business and growing and growing. And the other side of it is like, compared and relative to the industry and what's happening. And, you know, it, we'll talk about it more later, but the moving industry got hit pretty hard last year. And so I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm proud and excited and learned a lot for being able to still grow in a, you know, what would be a downward industry right now. So, um, but yeah, so I've owned the company for, um, for what, uh, going on five years now. And, um, um, I'm also a pilot. So for anyone listening, I am a flight instructor. I'm a commercial pilot. Uh, I could be flying in the airlines if I wanted to right now. Um, and I, my passion and joy is to fly airplanes. Dude, that that's super cool. I it's it's kind of embarrassing, but I'll just share it just to give you know everyone else a laugh. But I, you know, I I was kind of being convinced from a friend of like you know going down the path of maybe getting my pilot's license. And like I I put in like 25 hours, and I had like a really terrifying landing like where with the wind mm -hmm. like it was probably not a good day where i should have been flying but my instructor was probably not the greatest and almost crashed and it it put the fear of god in me where i was just like i'm gonna set this thing down and like i'll ride along and my friends that have their licenses and have a good time but i'm just gonna leave this yeah. <laughs> hobby yeah. alone but it's impressive i have a lot of respect now just from like initial learnings that i had for everyone that you know has went through the process of getting their pilot's license that's it's super cool yeah you, you hate to see the experience you had because it's not it's not norm and it probably was a huge error on the on the you know the instructor side of things but you know 
sometimes sometimes you you got to deal with that but i've had i've had a great time i've had no major emergencies in all my my years of flying so but i know i'll that's have awesome. one soon but that's why we pre prepare we train we stay current yeah i love it that's awesome so so diving into to your business so did you start out like niching into the moving space or like what what caused that you you know you got started were you kind of just offering like website and seo services to everybody or was that you were like, I'm going to niche and then get into a niche within the niche. Yeah, great question. So I, I basically wanted to, I wanted to make some money online. And, and it wasn't that I was like, I want to make money online. It was just that I was good with computers. And so back in the day, like I was building GoDaddy, you know, GoDaddy websites with the website builder. And, you know, I was, I was charging like $300 a website and it was just, you know, to help people out. And so when I, I was overseas for a little bit. And so when I came back, I came back and I started basically trying to offer this. And so we ended up getting into quite a few different industries from restaurants, doggy treats, e-commerce, insurance, moving companies. I was doing a little bit of everything for everybody. And I was yeah. making probably like four grand a month and I was just kind of, you know, learning. And so what happened is I wanted to become a pilot. So I had to quit my full-time job and I basically leaned into this. And so I bought a course and the course taught me a little bit more on how to grow an online business. And what was really cool about that is they said, choose a niche. And so at that time I ended up choosing the moving industry because I knew I could get one testimonial. And with that one testimonial, I knew I could get one more sale. And so I chose the moving industry haphazardly, to be honest. Like everyone's like, what made you choose the moving industry? It's like, I had a testimonial and I knew I could do something with that. And the fight, you know, once I chose that, I would say the biggest difference in setting us kind of moving forward is I learned how to sell, which is huge. I had a job that taught me how to sell where like before my business wasn't growing that well, but I also didn't know how to sell very well. And then mm -hmm. the, the other switch was once we got into the niche, proving and doing better than everybody else and like getting an outcome and getting results was really what, what helped us continue to, to grow. But yeah, ultimately we, we chose the moving industry because we knew we could get one testimonial and we went after it. I didn't know anything. I thought there was probably maybe 40 moving companies in the United States. That's I, and I was like, well, you may as well try. So <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, I think we, we always underestimate like how big certain niches are. Cause like, I would be like, man, like, how do you have enough people that have moving companies? But it's like, the niches are like, you know, it's like even in like a niche like that, I'm sure there's millions of, you know, I mean, I don't know, millions or hundreds of thousands of moving companies across the U.S. that, you know, need services. So it's super, super interesting. And I think the the encouraging thing, too, on, on that share is like you sharing that. I think sometimes people are intimidated and, in, you know, whether they're starting their business or like, you know, working on growing their business that everyone just has this like perfectly strategic polished business plan of why you chose this thing and how you're going to scale it and you know all of that and it's like i mean i know i've never had that either in any business i've started sometimes it's just like yep. the stars align in a way and it's like well this could work and then you like pour some gas on it and it's like does it light on fire it's like oh it is like let's pour some more and then you just start growing and you know it's like i feel like a lot of way <laughs> the funny the, the funny thing with that is you know i i share that you for i forget all the things that i went through i originally was trying to sell a course 
to moving business owners, you know, a marketing course, let's say I didn't have enough knowledge and, you know, but, and I remember getting on 30 phone calls with moving company owners. Cause that was my goal is like, get 30, don't switch, don't change anything, get 30 phone calls. And I was trying to sell a course and nobody was buying a course and everybody were like, well, do you offer marketing services like SEO? I was like, no, it's a course, you know, this is what I sell. And so after about like 10 people, they'll like the 11th person was like, do you offer SEO? I was like, yeah, we do actually. We offer it. They're like, "What's that about?" I was like, "Well, we just help you rank on Google." They're like, "Well, how much a month?" I was like, "It's a thousand dollars a month." And they're like, "Great, how do I sign up?" And that is literally how it started. <laughs> and then I had to figure I out what it. SEO was, and you know how to get going into it, and what what I should even do. So I got my first payment before I really knew what I was doing. I love it. That's just the yeah. it's for your entrepreneurial adventure of like saying yes and figuring it out. It's like you know freaking jumping off the cliff and building it on the way down. <laughs> oh, 100%. So yeah, for, for anyone who's that. like, I need this, I need this beautiful plan. It's like, ah, you just need a couple conversations. And your plan's going to get screwed up anyways along the way. And you're going to have to read all, you know, along the way, you know, yeah. so it's, it's super funny. So, so now, you know, obviously you've grown your business to where, where you're at now with, you know, 30 plus team members, you've been doubling every year, 30% growth and a down year for the industry last year. You know, what do you, what do you kind of see is like your, like the biggest challenges or obstacles that you're working through now and with your company? Yeah. Well, and let's talk about kind of like the, the, the obstacles as I grew, like when I first started this business, it was like mm -hmm. pay the bills. So it was like, get enough where yeah. I could start paying my own bills. Right. And that, yeah. I think, I think people get afraid of that being a goal and that's okay. Like my first goal was like, let's just pay some bills. Cause I'm going to flight school. I'm going through the, like, let's just make sure we can live, you know? And then the next stage, um, was like, okay, well now we can pay the bills now pay for flight school. Like, and, and now I, I, as long as I, I, in my opinion, as long as you're understanding, you've got to create real value in the marketplace. Like these little goals are, are quite okay. So it was like pay for flight school. Then when we got done with paying for flight school, it's like, okay, what's next? And so, you know, we're at $3 million of revenue is what we did last year. We're trying to grow again this year. And so each stage had different areas of like, what is my goal I'm trying to do? So now, you know, one of the biggest struggles that I have right now in my business is I am putting out all the day-to-day -day fires, right? That, that, that keep me from visioning a bigger growth, like to a point, like, especially as like owner and CEO, like just even just the dichotomy of like, I own my company and therefore I need to think about this company as an investment, but I'm also paid a like, salary as a hourly, my time put and and I think yep. what clicked like six months ago is like, those are two different thought processes. Those are two different things going on that I need to be well aware of and think very differently. Yep. And so, you know, right now it's like, how do I get a little bit more out of the day to day? So we're going through a process of hiring like our first COO. And that is a, that's an exciting challenge. And to, to look at that, the money going in towards it, but then to look at like, well, if this person comes in, I need to then grow from there. You know, who do I need to bring yeah. in place? What kind of growth do I need to have to justify it? How long am I going to make this investment before my return makes sense? You know, so that yeah. is, uh, that's kind of where we're at now is like, how do we best do that kind of growth? How do we best hire the COO? Ooh, I love that. That's super fun. Mm -hmm. That's a fun, this is like one of my most favorite parts of the business. Like, you know, and, and you're like one of my favorite type of business owners to talk to because 
you've already, you know, I love all the startup business owners, but like a lot of them still have the mindset issues of like, can I do it? And it's like, I want to talk about tactical, like this is what's going on. Like, how do we solve it? So my question for you is, have you already hired the COO or you're starting to advertise for the role? Starting to advertise for the role. I've got a couple key people in mind that I'm having some conversations with. Um, we're, we're kind of at that beginning stage of like, how do we know this is because there's just so much stuff. And the more you look into a COO role, the, the, the more you realize like there's no way to be like, this is the exact person you're looking for. And so we've really looked at this role of going, what are you going to own and what are the outcomes that need to happen in order for this to be successful? And so that's kind of the conversation we've been at now. Yeah. So I would ask, do you have like an operations manager or director or any of those levels or uh, currently in the company? No, I basically handle the basically the head of most of the departments um, as Mm -hmm. manager level. If I'm not like marketing, I'm the only really marketing person, but like account Mm -hmm. managers, I'm the head of account management. uh, But we have got, you know, four people on that team. And so we have I have to be very careful too around. And the reason why we've kind of leaned towards hiring a COO is going assume we can we can find that right person. It will be easier for us to onboard a, a, a well-valued COO that can help us get to another level to then it will be to hire a bunch of you know four or five different people to own departments that don't really need a full-time manager yet. And so that's kind of our, our thought process. Yeah, I love that. So I want to tell you some mistakes that I made that mm. were pain, a lot of pain and suffering um, that I have now you know, made this change in, in any company that we build or acquire now. And what I what I did wrong um, in a couple of companies was I called every role. So like, you know, our, our bookkeeper was our CFO. And then our, you know, we hired in someone and, you know, called them immediately our COO, but they didn't have any COO experience. And then, you know, our, our someone that just knew how to run ads, we called them our CMO. And it's like, we just had these like ridiculous, you know, these super high titles and lessons that I learned was our growth became inhibited. Like one of our companies in particular became inhibited because we had the highest level role. Like we had, you know, a, a COO that had never actually built and like sat in that seat before. And like their, their professional development wasn't at a place where it was going to be able to get us to where we wanted to go with the company. Mm. And they were already the highest level title in the company for operations. And it was like weird to try to find someone else that was better that would then like, how do we do we just fire them? And it became this weird thing. And so what what, um, you know, we implement this process of employee maturity model in our company. So like, so say for operations, for example, like in any of our companies, somebody that would be starting out in an operational role is going to be, you know, and and it could be in any department that touches operations like account management or onboarding or whatever. Um, They have that role, but they, we have it start with like operations manager, director of operations, senior director of operations, then from a senior, then they could become a vice president of operations, president of operations, then a COO. So that there's mm-hmm. this whole path of how they could eventually grow to the COO. Because what we found too is there's also a growth plan in place for them. Because when someone comes in at COO, it's like, what is their ascension? What what role would they eventually mm-hmm. go to? Maybe CEO if you wanted to step out of the business. So obviously it's food for thought, but that was something that we did. And you know, to give you an idea, like we 
you know, one of our companies that, you know, did just under 30 million last year, we didn't have even a CEO. We had a director of operations was the highest. We didn't have even a senior director. We didn't have a VP. We didn't have any, any of those stages, but what it did was it created a growth plan for our, you know, this girl on our team, she started as like an account manager for like Facebook, basically. Then she ascended to operations management for two different departments. Then she was doing so good that then she went to director of operations. And then so her next path in her career was senior director. And then, you know, so she saw like, what, what does that look like of the growth path that I can have in this company? And that becomes more of what I found is like, you know, our jobs as the owners is like showing what's the path of success at this company and like, what are outcomes that have to happen and like salary ranges too. Um, Cause as, as we grew, you know, in one of our companies, um, which is where I learned some of these lessons. And, you know, I had uh, somebody that was technically a COO role. And so they would go, you know, when it came to time for raises, they're like, I'm a COO, I'm Googling other roles of COOs and look how much they're getting paid and look how much I'm getting paid. And then you have this weird friction conversation and it's like, well, we're not that big yet. You know, it's like, (laughs) then it's like the weird, weird thing. Right. So that that was something that um, I always recommend looking at is like because it for the role that you're looking for, you could probably hire a you know a super talented director of operations that has like that experience of running like this girl on my team that you know for the company I was just telling you about, she was running you know the the info team, the media team uh, that oversaw like content and social media, um, and you know she so she was overseeing like almost. I mean, there's probably a little over 30 employees that she was overseeing in that role mm-hmm. and as a director. Um, and so that would be something that I would just consider is like, see if you could hire a director level because a director level can do the things that you're talking about wanting them to do. And then they still have a path to, to grow. So I don't know. What are your, yep. what are your thoughts? Well, it's good insight. And there's, I think there's a lot of wisdom there because we've experienced it in ourselves where it's like you hire somebody, it's like, yeah, you may, you may be called a sales manager or VP of sales, but you're really just a, a sales rep or like, Hey, you know, we're calling you head of marketing, but you're really just a digital marketer. You're, you're like, we just yeah. we got no one else in marketing. So we decided, and it really has a lot of the times it, it ends in this kind of hard kind of tension conversation. Cause it's like, well, I'm head of marketing. It's like, yeah, but you execute in your role <laughs> and responsibilities is digital marketing. And I think the, the key thing that's kind of, that can flow between the bad mistakes we've had and what you're saying is is really understanding the outcomes and like whether it's a director of operations or an operations manager or COO or whatever it is the outcomes at least in my current business needs may still be needing to be the same sometimes they play into things that a COO will do sometimes they'll play into things that a manager of a customer success team will do but it's getting really clear on like what is the outcome you need because we have found and I'm sure everybody has experienced this is there are so many people who are like, look at all the work I did. And you're like, that's great, but you didn't get the outcome we needed. And that's the problem. They're like, but I worked really hard. It's like, I get that, but you didn't get the outcome we needed. And that's the problem. And so I think that is really wise because it's like, whatever we call your role, we've got to be clear on the outcomes (laughs) that we're focused on. Yeah. It's funny because it's like, and especially like, you know, I'm sure you as the owner and like, I think about this, I'm like, I don't care what the titles are, but the team members, sometimes there's certain ones that they mm. care a lot. Like it matters what they tell their friends and family, their title is at work. Like it's 
So it's like being, you know, being thoughtful around it. But like you said, you know, the ha- establishing like what is the, you know, success for the role. And like that's something that we'll do whenever a role comes in. It's like we have a 30, 60, 90 day. These are the things that we want to see you accomplish in it. And, you know, on our on our JDs, um, you know, for each role, it's like we have th- a three, the three, three key responsibilities and then like sub items like under each of those. It's like, you know, team building and management is one of them. Um, you know, maybe it's over uh, product development and implementation is another one. Then there's like sub items under those. And so, you know, it's it's, you know, so important that I found and you know it sounds like you're already doing that of like making it extremely clear of like what the successful outcome that we're looking for is you know I had um, you know a business partner uh, tell me this story you know he used to have a construction company years ago and he hired a guy uh, you know a subcontractor to uh, dig um, you know dig a, a ditch for this pool in this yard and he's like it needs to be on you know they met at the property they're looking out there the pool needs to be dug on the right side of the yard so comes back, um, you know, two days later, job's done, you know, goes to the backyard. The pool is dug on the left side of the yard. But if and then, then you know, he's like, you didn't dig the freaking ditch on the right side of the yard. And he's like, I did. It's on the right side. It's like if so they walked out there together, they turned around. And when they're looking at the back of the house, the right side of the yard is where he dug it. <laughs> But the right side was no, when we looked out there from the back door, it was supposed to be the right side. And so the guy's like, well, I should still get paid. And, you know, the conversation was like, so I should pay you for the work that you did incorrectly because you worked so hard, even though the outcome wasn't what we agreed on was supposed to happen. You know, so it's Mm -hmm. like there's that, you know, and that's that's real. Like that happens. People misunderstand like what actual success in their role is versus like, I just worked really hard and I feel this or I feel that, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, cause you can get into a place where it's like, well, I was managing the team. I was doing Facebook ads. I was doing email marketing. I was doing X, Y, Z. And it's like, yeah, but it, but it didn't, it didn't get what I needed it to do. And that's, yeah, and that's the tough part. So yeah, no, hundred percent. That's great. <laughs> that's so funny. So I, I, one thing I'd ask, so do you have, um, have you built out like your company's like org chart, um, like on like a lucid chart or a mural board or anything? Yeah. So we, we built it out on a, on a lucid chart and, uh, well actually built it out on both. Um, but we built it out. And one of the things that we're going through right now, or that I'm going through is building out now, building it out for what we need in a year. And then, and then dreaming a little bit about what we think we need in the next year, which is way more of a difficult task. Cause you've got to really think through like, well, what is our, you know, what, what, what do we need and how do we forecast for that? Because I've before forecast is like, well, let's just drag this percentage all the way over. It's like, well, no, with a good CEO or with a good management, you're creating efficiencies in that whole process. So it's like yeah. just brainstorming out a year is hard, two years, very difficult. But yeah, so we're, we're looking at what, where we're at today and then what nine months look at like, and then potentially then just an idea of what it, what does two years look like? And so that's what we're we're doing right now. Actually, I have it on my whiteboard right over there. That's awesome. Yeah, I know the the org chart development piece is, is super fun. And, and it's cool, like you're already, you know, thinking about, you know, that that forecasting out over that, you know, nine months next year, and like seeing it's like, what roles are going to have to exist in these different areas. 
um, to be able to support like the new business coming in and what roles that don't exist now are going to have to exist because, you know, there's going to be more team members and different, mm-hmm. you know, workloads on certain certain areas of the business. So, um, so already, you know, getting the work chart, getting that, you know, operational, you know, role in place, um, you know, what, what do you think is kind of the, the next thing from there? Yeah, well, I think, I think once I, here's, here's the goal and the outcome is that I take a little bit of, although I'm always going to be the person holding everybody accountable and responsible of outcomes of the business. My hope is that when a COO or director of operations come in, it allows me to get away from the day to day and then be able to think about a, a bigger leverage that we have. Because one of the things that is hard is, you know, Travis five years ago would sit here and go, man, I don't know if you could make a $500,000 company in the moving industry alone, right? Travis three years ago goes, man, there's no way you can get to a million and a half, right? And then Travis today is like, well, how do we get get more? And so it's, you know, one of the problems, I'd be curious on how you guys look at it, how you look at it and just looking at like, I'm caught in my day to day. I'm caught in where we're at today. But how do you, how do yeah. I, how do I invest and think mindset level on a, well, what does this look like to be a $20 million company? And what is the stuff that I need to invest into? And how do I track those investments? And how do I think through that to allow me to give, to give myself the opportunity to actually grow the company, maybe a little faster or bigger than maybe I've ever dreamed. That, that to me is really difficult. Cause it's like, all right, I can see I can see the path to 3.5 million from 3 million. I potentially can see the 4 million. Yeah. Cannot see the path yeah. to 10 million. And I don't know how to even think about it and the investments and the people. Yeah. So so what I've what I've found a lot of times based on like things that have broken and different companies that, you know, we've we've built um, over the years is one is a lot of like technical like CRM uh, and data tracking and management becomes an issue in the mid like three to five million dollar range. I've found that, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times with our companies that as they would grow past a million, couple million, we would see a lot of data issues and having really good tracking and data management of all of the key indicators for the company becomes really critical. Yeah. Um, so you're probably shaking your head of like we're doing that now. No, we're just getting into like realizing, oh my gosh, like we're barely tracking the things I really need to know. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's where you'll feel more confidence with your forecasting. So like we'll look at whenever we're forecasting for whatever we want our growth to be is we have to look at, you know, I look at every business like a conveyor belt. So like from the beginning stage of like, okay, things would fall onto the conveyor belt, which is marketing, like a lead gen of like our clients. It falls under the conveyor belt and then it goes to sales. Once it's sold, then it goes down the conveyor belt to the fulfillment team to actually do the thing that we promised them that they were going to be mm-hmm. able to do. And, yeah. you know, then servicing the customer from there. And so getting really dialed in on the data of what, you know, what are you doing for marketing? How much does it cost you to acquire a customer? And then what, because when you know exactly how much it costs you to acquire a customer, then you can look at the profitability of, okay, if we charge $5,000 when somebody first starts and it costs us $2,000 to actually acquire that customer, then there's a $3,000 spread. Well, how much of that $3,000 goes towards the fulfillment team and all of that, like all the profitability of acquiring a customer? Because then you can put the right amount of ad spend behind it to know 
whether you can keep throwing money at marketing because it's going to be profitable. And then, you know, it's like understanding some of those things and in, in like your lifetime value of a customer. Like if you know on average every customer means $8,000 or $10,000 over time, then you can make better decisions of how much you spend to get them in the door and, and how long they stay. And so getting the data super clear in, th in this range will help you really confidently be able to make decisions on going to 10 million plus. And the other challenge that I see happen in that bottlenecks businesses um, from going through it and experience is the leadership team that's being built and like the five to 10 million um, range becomes super important. Like all of those data things become important, but then having the people that can make accurate, smart, responsible decisions with those data points to drive the company forward. Like the people that are overseeing the marketing are paying attention to what is the cost to acquire a customer? How long do they stay? How much do we, uh, what's our you know lifetime value of the customer? They should be paying attention to that. And whoever's overseeing sales looks at sales and says, okay, well, you know, we get this many leads. This is how many we actually close. Um, you know, what do we, what do we need to improve? Is it our closing percentage needs to goes up? Is it we need to get with marketing and we need to increase the quality of lead because we're, you know, getting too many unqualified prospects. So, mm -hmm. you know, and then all the way down to fulfillment, you know, hey, fulfillment could only handle, you know, 10 clients at a time. Well, if we if marketing and sales are scaling, scaling to 15 at a time, fulfillment's going to have the issue. So it's it's like looking at it on that conveyor belt view is how I like to see it and knowing the data in each department and how all of those match together. So then collectively as a company, the final piece of that that I look at that's like what I see has gotten, you know, a few of our companies to 10 million plus is then the vision that you set for the team. It's we're going like this is our mission. This is our vision. This is where we're going. And for all of these things to come true, all of these areas are going to have to be on the same page. So it's like, if we're going to go to this, this revenue amount, our average customer spends this, it means we need to grow by X amount of new customers. Hey, marketing, we need this many leads to be able to do that. And hey, sales, mm -hmm. if we need this many sales reps to close this many at this percentage to do that fulfillment, we got to hire some more people to fulfill on this. And keep the quality good and keep those customers longer to be, you know, make sure our profitability is there. So it's it's combining together, like making sure you're tracking the data that matters so you can make those data decision, um, data track decisions and then having the team that's accountable for managing that. And then you as the owner, which is really the main thing that I do for our companies is like, this is where we're going. And so I can meet with my team members and, you know, look at marketing and like, hey, like, our forecast is we need this many leads a week and each week we need to grow by two additional leads so that over time we get to our target. If we're off track, how are we fixing this? What are we going to do? What are you going to change on the ads that we're running? What is the copy? You know, do we need to do more email marketing? What can we do to make this this adjustment? So it's really just a, bit, you know, a lot of data and scorecard management and then vision casting. And you know that's where then sharing with the team like, hey, when we go to this level, you know, we only have you, you know, to like a marketing person, you're a marketing manager. When we get to this size, we're going to have more team members. This means probably, you know, possibly marketing director, but that doesn't exist unless the company reaches this target. So if they're ambitious and they want to get to that target, it's like, well, this is what has to be true for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what I've found like in that range. It's a lot of data. 
metric tracking that ha- becomes super important and like the cleanliness of that data, like not getting fed crap data from like a salesperson, mm-hmm. you know, or marketing or, or they fulfillment. <laughs> yeah. So like automating as much of it as possible. So it's yeah. as truthful as possible. Um, but yeah, so those are, those are some thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it makes, it makes so much sense. And I think, I think you're hitting it with spot on is like, that's where we're at today is like, let's get the right tracking in place, especially tracking that I can trust. Right. Cause it's like, you could tell me a number on my team and it would be like, yeah, well, where are we getting that? I don't know if I trust that. So like <laughs> getting the right tracking in place. And I think it's key is like that stuff can be pretty, can be done fairly easy, uh, or fairly right. doable. And I think for me, I'm looking at going, the biggest hurdle that I'm going to be working through is I got to get the data tracking in place and I can do some work with spreadsheets and get some people to go, Hey, then therefore, what can we spend on marketing? And I think the key will be, that is the hardest part for me that I'm growing in is then getting the right people in there to create that, that outcome. It's like, I can tell you the customer acquisition cost is, you know, or, or our budget for customer acquisition cost is $2,500 a customer, let's say, right now, can we get somebody to be able to, to, to make that happen and drive that and and how do I track that so I know when the right person is there and when the wrong person is there so I can start getting the wrong person out and that's for me is where I need to really excel into is being very clear and powerful in that and and really yeah. managing the people well of going hey this is our goal this is where we're at when it's off track I need you to tell me what's going to be changed to get it on track and then if they can't get it on track they can't you know they can't be at the team anymore because I can't just keep no. going down the wrong track but it's hard. It's no. hard when they become friends of yours and when they've been at the company for a while. And so as a CEO and as an owner, I've got to get better at managing that. Yeah. And that's the hard part too. But it's like, you know, it's like those certain team members are what could be the difference of like you being where you are and where where you want to go. And the other thing, when we keep those team members, and I've done this, so that's why I am I know from experience of doing this, is like keeping people too long because you're like, they're going to figure it out. I just, I believe in them so much. Like, I hope they'll figure it out. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard when you really like someone too. And it's like, you know, it's just, we're building a sports team. Like we're trying to get to the Super Bowl. Like we can't have, you know, the, uh, you know, one of the, you know, linemen not blocking the quarterback and their quarterbacks getting crushed every play. It's like that, yeah. that kills the whole team. And so it's, you know, I, what I try to do is, you know, create that accountability across the board. And where I explain to the team, it's like, Guys, like we were, the business runs like a conveyor belt. And so like when marketing drops the leads in, sales takes them, goes through to fulfillment, the whole wheels that grease the conveyor belt to keep this thing held up is like HR and finance and legal that hold up the conveyor belt. So it's like they hold the conveyor belt up. But if marketing isn't getting on, you know, uh, getting enough for sales, it hurts sales, it hurts fulfillment, it hurts all of their careers and all of their advancement that they could have at this company because someone else isn't doing their job. And so... Mm-hmm. Something that I'm consistently saying to team members and I'm doing one on ones and we're doing coaching is, you know, the business requires what the business requires. And so what that means is like even for me, if I'm incapable, you know, at the certain growth of the company of doing a certain job, it's not something that I need to feel bad about. It's something that I just have to recognize I'm incapable of doing this thing now where the company's grown to. I need to find someone to be able to delegate something to. And that's also what ties into like the career growth planning that we talk about with the team. It's like, look, you know, you want to be eventually this director of operations or, you know, VP of ops or like whatever role is you're currently here. 
for our company to go to these levels, you're going to have to gain these new skill sets um, to be able to help the company continue to grow. And so mm-hmm. it's just the business requires what it requires and doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to be here, but you know, your role might change. And that does happen sometimes. You know, we've had people that were an operations manager and, you know, when we were really small and then as we've grown, like they had to move to just like account manager of a certain department. And it's like, that's just what they do because they weren't, they weren't professionally developing themselves to be able to um, help the company be successful at where the company is today. And so mm-hmm. it's like a consistent conversation. I'm always telling our team. So they're never like, I, I thought I just, you know, I've been here for three years and like, I've been here since the beginning and da, da, da. it's like, well, if you've been the same every year for three years, that's why you're not, that's why we can't excel because you haven't been growing. So it's, that's a consistent conversation we have. And it's hard too, because like you said, it's like you build a relationship, you go to dinner with these people, you become friends and you know their family. And it's like, it's heartbreaking at times because you're just like, I want you to be so successful. It's literally killing me, but they aren't able to execute, you know, yep. it's hard. Yep. That's why, that's why establishing, I'm getting better at establishing up front. Like here are the outcomes. Here's how we're tracking. Here's when it's at risk. And they're like, we literally have a red, yellow, and green. When you're at yellow, you're at risk. When you're at green on our core outcomes, you're great. Mm-hmm. When you're at red, it's not good, you know, and it helps keep it a little bit more clear because each department we've identified the most important number that above all other numbers, above all data points, if this number is getting better, it will help the the company or the the department above that. And when that number is better, it helps the overall. And so each department, each, yeah, basically each department has its own most important number. And so that's a one, you know, there's lots of KPIs that support yeah, it, um, but we sure. have one most important number that helps us align of like, end all be all, this is what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, because like even this month, like sales this last month, our department hit our most important number. We did well. Within that, though, we have some oranges in that because we have different reps not doing so well. So, you know, if I'm sitting here as a sales manager, go, hey, I did great on my most important number here. We hit our goal, but I've got some discrepancies because some guys are doing really well and some guys are not doing really well. You know, and that's, that's super helpful because it helps if I were in that shoes, it would help me to go. How do, it helps me understand how I'm winning or losing, and the right people will be concerned with that. The right people, everyone wants to, everyone wants to win. They just need to know yeah. exactly what winning looks like. Yes, exactly. It's what winning looks like. Like I, I talked to, uh, we bought this company in Florida last year, and you know we were kind of explained because they didn't, you know, they didn't have any core values. They didn't have any, you know, like a mission or statement or like any org chart or any like nothing really there and like no rules of like how things should work. They weren't tracking any KPIs. It was kind of just firefighting, running around doing things and their business. And, you know, I'm like the equivalent of like trying to grow a business that way is like, you know, putting freaking, you know, they had like 17 employees. I'm like, put 20 people on a soccer field that have never played soccer. Don't even know what soccer is and throw a ball out there and just say, play, go. And it's just like, what do you, do we pick up the ball? Do we throw it at each other? Do we like, do I tackle them? Do I use my feet? Like, what do you, like we, as the game makers, we, as the business owners set the rules of engagement. This is how we work here. This is how we engage. This is what winning is. If you score a goal, that's a good thing. You should block the other team's goal. You know, it's just like laying out what, what success is, what winning is, what the opposite of that would be. And like how they all mesh together and work together as a team and, it's like you don't need seven goalies, you need one goalie. And, you know, so it's like 
getting that org chart established where it's not you have four people running at the same problem and like stepping on each other, a bunch of same cooks in the kitchen. You know, it's like all of those things of like, all right, this is what the team looks like. This is how we're going to operate together because that, mm-hmm. that definitely becomes problematic. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, 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 and getting that clarity, I mean, it's just like everyone says, like, it's not that it's, it's not that it's so complicated. It's just that it's sometimes hard. And I've realized for me, I've, I've realized in the last six months, I'm putting out a lot of day-to-day fires because I like hate it, whether I like it or not, I I'm comfortable because I know it well, I know how to put out day-to-day fires. And so I stay there where it's like getting clear on a performance improvement plan, right. Or writing down a, a, a very core role that we need and getting very clear the outcomes like doesn't take necessarily a long time, but it takes a lot of thought, a lot of, a lot of brain power, a lot of brain power. And it's the harder. And so I've always pushed that off because it's like, well, we have this day-to-day fire. It's like, yeah, well that day-to-day fire is a little small fire, but I'm comfortable there. And so like, as owners, we just keep realizing too, like sometimes the small stuff, even though it's difficult to work through, it's not, not like it's going to take me 30 weeks to go build a outcome for, or a clear winning plan for a COO, maybe five hours at the most. It's just not comfortable. 100%. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's also, you know, you get to be the hero a little bit too, when you go put out the fire, it's like, I came in, I helped save my team from, you know, their, their demise, you know, and it's like, I talked to an angry client. Yeah. Yeah. I, I reduced it. You know, it's great. I saved the day. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I really tried to focus on, like with my leadership team is like getting them to, you know, just feel comfortable and making the decisions and not bringing it to me, but then also then beginning to do that for their team as well. And, you know, when, whenever I'll like try to teach my team delegation, like one of the things that I tell them is like, look, like, when you haven't delegated too many things before, it's like, start with the small things. Like you're not going to delegate something that's like the equivalent of heart surgery for a company that would literally like make our company go under if they like screwed this up, like mm-hmm. have, have them take out the trash or the equivalent of that, like write right. one piece of copy for this thing and just have them do it and don't like see how they do. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to screw up and they're going to make mistakes. And that's okay. Part of the learning process is like, allowing people to make that mistake so they could take responsibility for it and improve and not berate them through the process. Like, obviously, like, you know, they have to eventually be getting it. Like if you're having to, you know, give them feedback 10 times on the same thing over and over, it's like, all right, like I tell my team, I'm like, I'm okay with problems, but the same problem over and over again, we're not going to have that conversation. That's, that's going to be different. So it's like, you know, those, those, those are, those are tough things sometimes, you know, in that delegation phase, especially on the firefighting, like I try to just push it back, you know, whenever my, uh, different managers or directors will like bring stuff to me and they're like, Hey, like I have this problem. And like, like, I just, I don't know how to solve it. And like, you know, if I wasn't here, how would you solve it? I just try to like ask inquisitive things. Like, how would you solve that? Like, imagine what if I was just like at a conference for our company for two days and like, this was happening, what would you do? Oh, okay. Well, I think I would do this and this, and they usually have the solution. I think they just like, it's like mom and dad syndrome almost yeah. like they want to come to you and bring it and like get approval of like how to resolve it. It's like, mm-hmm. you got this, like you can do it. Like you have the answer most likely. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been implementing from that buy back your time book by Dan. What is it? Martell. 
and uh, yeah, that, yeah, that one three one. It's like, what's the one problem? What are the three different options of solutions and the one solution that you think you would want to move forward with? And that's actually been really helpful just within our company of like, hey, what's the one problem? Okay, what are the three different solutions and what do you think is the best solution? And then I'd be like, I agree, great job. Or I'd be like, here's the problem with that one. I really think you should actually come closer to this one or whatever. Because I'm really, yeah. it's really easy for me to solve some of the problems and just be like, yeah, no, don't do that. Do this. Here's how you do it. So easy for me. But I, I know I, I continue to realize like I just handcuff my team members by doing that. Yes. And yourself from being able to focus on like the above the business work that has to be done that then creates mm -hmm. the results in the business that the team mm -hmm. could be doing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I was, I'm curious, do you, do you, uh, have any like specific operating system that your company runs off of? Like, EOS by Gino Wickman, like his book Traction or anything like that, or like mm -hmm. do OKRs or anything like that? Yeah, I think overall we do a version of OKRs. I've done the EOS. I, I, I know I know there's a there's a lot of value in the EOS system. I found that sometimes the implementation of it can be overwhelming because when we think about like the value creation, it's like, well, implementing that, it's like you could do all this work and it's like, well, now we've just implemented something. So there's a book um, from a guy actually here in Arizona called Your Most Important Number and the Drivers. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's by Lee Benson and it's called the mind methodology. And so I, I do a lot of operations out of that. What's nice is it creates very fast value impact um, alignment within the company. The thing that I, I would like to see more out of the book that I think EOS does a great job on is the details of like, okay, well then how? Right. Well, okay. These are these types of meetings or the rocks being moved. I think that's where EOS comes in really nicely. But in terms of quick impact, value impact, value creation alignment, I love the mind methodology. So it's it's the one that I, I implement. We have it all mapped out. Every single um, job has outcomes that they know they need to create. Every single role uh, either has their most important number or they understand their impact to the department's most important number. And then each each department has its most important number that aligns with the most important number at the top line of, of the company, whether that's valuation or profit or whatever it is. And so that's the methodology that we uh, do. I personally like it, especially for a, a smaller company. A lot of the, all the things you try to have to implement with the EOS, I, and I'm not trying to bag on EOS. It's just sometimes there's a lot. And in, in when you're a smaller company, you don't have a lot of that time. You've got to create the most value with the least amount of work quickly. And so that's why I really like the mind methodology. So I, I highly suggest it for anybody out there wanting to read it. It's a great, great book on value creation. It's called the mind methodology. It's called your most important number by Lee Benson. Most important number, Lee Benson. Okay. Got it. Yeah. He's a, he grew able aerospace, which is down in Mesa, Arizona and sold that to Textron. So sick. I'm not, smart, I'm not check out. Guy. Yeah. I always love, I love all of the you know, the operational like function type yeah. books. Um, you know, have you read any of Mike McCallowick's books by chance? Mike, Mike McCallowick's, why does that sound so familiar? Is that the numbers finance guy? He has Profit First, Clockwork, mm. um, Fix This Next. Like he has so many great books. The, uh, the one he has Clockwork is like just literally like figuring out how to basically turn your company into like a franchise system in the sense of like, systematizing everything like i'd nerd out on that one um for sure mm -hmm. that one's super interesting um and then profit first like just like company finance management yeah. basically he has some he has yeah. some good ones too. 
Profit first is a good one. Another really good one um, is called, um, oh man, now I can't forget what it's called. I'll have to look it up, but it's called Numbers or something. I really <laughs> love the the book um, because it helped me break down my understanding of, um, of me as a business owner and an owner of the business um, versus me also being a paid CEO or paid XYZ. Um, I think it's called Simple Numbers. Yeah, Simple Numbers, Straight Talk. Um, and he has two books. They and and so it's called Simple Numbers, Straight Talk. And it's by sure. uh, by Crabtree, Gregory Crabtree. Really great, really great book hey. um, in terms of finances, especially as a business owner, to kind of separate. Like you are an owner of an investment, something that yeah. has investment value, but you're also paid salary for your work done in the business and aligning that and making that very clear in your decision-making process. So, so true, you know, it's, and I think that's where there's a lot of people that they get stuck in like, you know, uh, the, I'm the owner, but I also get a salary. Like that's how, like, cause we have a couple different companies where we have like partnerships and it's like, we, you know, and then like there are conversations around like, how do we take distributions? And it's like, you get a salary for the job you do you get distributions mm -hmm. for the success and profitability of the company. That's how we get paid here. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, you do not get paid to do nothing. Well, I guess not do nothing. You don't get paid yeah. to, you know, if you're not on the org chart of the company, you get a salary. If you're on the org chart, you get profits. If you're an owner, like that's kind of yeah. our, our framework on, on doing that. But that's, exactly. you know, for some people they're like, well, I'm an owner, like, and there's money at the end of the month. It's like, yes, but like you get a, you get a profit distributions. <laughs> Yeah, ex exactly. You get a profit distributions that are set out by some kind of operation or uh, some kind of agreement, you know, and, yeah. and that's been helpful for me because it's like, now I can sit here and go, I have my salary. And at the end of the month, I have an agreement. Now I'm the only owner. So I have my own agreement with myself, but it's still, it's a written agreement you that still goes, need it. you still need yeah, that. I'm going to take 70% of the profit and bring it into my, my bank account, my personal bank account because we're a cash flowing business and we can. And so I get to reap the rewards of owning this investment vehicle and 30% yep. stays in and we, I can always change it, but it makes it very yep. clear now what is now coming to me personally that I need to then figure out how to reinvest and leverage better on other ways and what stays in the business and what is salary and what is not salary. Super helpful. I love that. And it's super impressive, like hearing you even talking about that. Cause like, the amount of people that I even talk to that, you know, they're doing five or 7 million or 10 million a year. And they're like money management is just like a train wreck. They're just like, I take out cash when I need it. And then like, you know, if I can't, then I don't. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, I couldn't live like that. There would be way too much stress, way too much volatility. You know, business ownership yeah. is already too hard. Like I've got to yeah. you know where there's, we want it. We want to get rewarded. Like the most high impact players, they want to be rewarded. And and money is a is a a reward. It's not the only reason we work, but it's a yeah. it's a shown, proven kind of reward system of going. You're doing well. You're creating more value. And so I want that. Like I want to build more wealth, create more money, uh, create more value in what we're doing. And so I I've got to take some distributions. Hundred percent. And like and it's not feeling it's not feeling guilty for it either. It's just like you built this thing and it's like you get to reap the rewards of the successes that you have the same that 
you know, for people that don't have that, it's like you reap the rewards of the opposite. Like if you didn't build the business the right way, you're not going to be able to reap the, the benefits of, you know, the the success of it. Um, what's your ultimate goal with your your company? So you're talking about like, all right, 10 million, then 20 million. Is it to eventually sell to like a big, you know, conglomerate digital marketing company? Or is it kind of, you know, build it, eventually put in, you know, the leadership, get reap the cash flow, but have like a management team that, you know, runs the company and you, you know, just fly off into the sunset with your, uh, literally you know, fly off into the dream plane is. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask hard questions, Cody. Keep it high level. Okay. Don't ask hard questions. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a great question. And I think there's a, there's a little bit of a existential crisis that I'm in right now, because again, we talked about like kind of the reasons for owning the business and what we were doing. And in probably in the last year, I was like, okay, like I've got, I've got, you know, my plane, my flight instructions paid off, like getting all these things, like I can pay my bills. And it's like, well, what are we doing this for? It's like, okay, well, we're doing this to make an impact because we're making great impact into businesses, communities, people who, you know, have their jobs. And, you know, you know, in the moving industry, it's a very cyclical, you know, um, season for them. And so sometimes people get fired in the winter season and hired in the summer season. So when we make a big impact on a company, they're coming to us going, hey, I didn't have to fire John, you know, normally I have to fire him. Like this huge impact. But for me, I have to sit here and go, well, where am I going? So I think eventually I would sell. Um, I don't have any plans for it right now. I think, you know, especially because I don't know what I would do after this. So it's like, I'm enjoying the learning that I'm doing. I've never owned a business before. And so I get to, I get to learn a lot. And, you know, my wife and I always joke of like, I'm so always overwhelmed in a, in a good sense. Cause like, I'm always learning more. Like I, there's not a day I, I start my day and I'm like, well, yep. Just, just kind of run through the mundane, like same old, same yeah. old. And so I probably, I'm probably eventually wanting to sell, but right now I'm wanting to grow, use this opportunity of a cash flowing business to go, how do I become a better owner, better business owner, better CEO, and learn through this experience? So probably right now we're looking more into acquiring another company than we are into selling off. But I'm sure eventually I'm, I'm ready to do that. But it's definitely like I'm going to live the life of a CEO in the day-to-day work yeah. right now. I'm not looking to do nothing uh, for yeah. a while. I'm not ready yet for that. So. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's, and that's the thing, like I always, I'm always curious on like what people want to do. And it's like, I, I just always, am like, you know, cause one of our like focuses as a business is like acquiring, you know, and we're working on acquiring like home service businesses here locally in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm like business of like building businesses and like, I mean, these conversations, like this is so fun. It's like, it's just so much like joy and like exciting. And like, this is like talking about these different things going on in businesses at different sizes. And it's like, I enjoy so much. It's like the patterns you see. It's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I remember that exact thing. Same thing happened like at that, you know, similar point. And like, you can kind of start to point out different patterns that happen. And then it's like, okay, next time I I'm involved in something like I could do that a little bit faster. And then, you know, oh, I know how to solve this problem now that, you know, I had with this other team member because it was the first time it happened and now I know how to do it better. And it's like, it's like that life just learning process is just such a joy of and fun. And like, I mean, we're both young. So it's like, I, I think about that. And like, I had, you know, I had a, a, one of my original mentors like 10 years ago, you know, he, uh, you know, he did a lot of fix and flips and then acquired a lot of rental properties that are, you know, paid off. And, 
you know, he said he, he retired when he was like 37. And he's like, dude, he's like, I was so depressed for like six months when I retired. He's like, I had enough cash flow to live. Like my house was paid off. Like I had all these paid off rentals. And he's like, I just got so depressed because I was so bored. He's like, I didn't have anything meaningful or purposeful to work yep. on anymore. Like all my friends were still working. And so he's like, you can only golf so many days and like go to so many nice dinners where it's until it gets boring. And it's like, there's not a thrill of life anymore. So then he got back into flipping and buying more properties and doing other, you know, development projects and stuff. But it's like, I don't even know if it's the, you know, I know for me, it's not the goal of like, you know, retire. It's like, just what else can we do? And just do the things you want to do with the people you want to do them with and the way that you want to do them. And I think that's more of my goal all the time than retirement. It's like, if I could just do that, it's like, I'm around the people I want to be around. I'm doing the things I like to do. And being challenged the way I want to be challenged, it's like, that's better than retirement to me because mm -hmm. like, I mean, what else, you know? <laughs> right. Well, and that's, I'm looking forward to being at a spot where I can dream a little bit and try new things without, because right now in my business, it's like, I feel like my back is against the wall. Any wrong move could tank the company, even though I know it probably couldn't, but it's just like, man, I've got to be, I got to be very intentional about the things I spend my time on because it's not like I've sold multiple businesses and it's like, this is just kind of a trial, but I'm looking forward to the time where it's like, Hey, I've got a little bit more security, you know, let's, okay, let's go try this. Let's go and hire this person. Let's go and, you know, try to build this. And I'm excited for that time. Um, but I, you know, I'm the same way. Probably everybody listening here is like, yeah, there's no such thing as retiring. We want to have joy. I've got three kids. Like I want to enjoy life with them. I want them to know yeah. that dad worked really hard, created value, but I also didn't sacrifice time with them. Yeah. Right. And it's easy to be like, Oh, time with them. Cause I've got a lot of friends who are like, oh, I'm home and playing with my kids all day. Like just, just being able to, to work and present and represent a good healthy harmony of life between family and work and spending time with my kids, but also knowing that they know daddy worked really hard in setting that example. Um, that's really important to me as well. I love that. And I think a lot of people you know, resonate. I mean, I resonate with that too. I don't have kids yet, but I mean, that will be, you know, within the next few years, that'll definitely be becoming. Yeah. And uh, I know we're coming up on time here, so I want to be respectful of that, but I do have one more question for you, which is, you know, what would you, you know, any words of encouragement or recommendations or things that you would tell someone that's, you know, maybe they're, they're in the initial stages of their business where they're maybe doing a few hundred grand or 500 grand a year in revenue. And they're really trying to break through to get to a million plus and start putting that, putting that team together. What would any, anything that you would share with them of like, Hey, read this book or like do this thing, um, you know, so that we can help them find their way to the, you know, similar success. Yeah, um, I think there's a few things I would I would say is uh, number one I do I do think you should read the book uh, Your Most Important Number by Lee Benson I think it's helpful It's very similar in a sense to the One Thing uh, If you've heard of the One Thing by Oh my Gary Keller Yeah 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 so it's very similar yeah. to that But in a much more business like very clear like I mean it's it's a great it's a great book to read And then you should have them on your podcast because I think it would be great for the for the listeners um, But I'd say read that book and I'd say the second thing is don't be afraid of also being and working in your business. I think there's a lot of just this talk of like working out of your business, working out is like passive you gotta, income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Passive income. You've got to do what the business needs you to, to do. And so I'd say, you know, don't be afraid and don't feel like you're a, 
a failure because you're not making $500,000 in passive income. Like it's so rare. And the more and more I talk to people, even the people that I'm close to that, you know, on a surface level, they may sound like they have that on their podcast, but then I know them and it's like, this is not passive income. This is, but it's, you know, they like to talk about it. So don't be afraid of working within the business um, and really, really think about the two things. Number one, how do we create more value within the business and for the customers? Um, and really what is above all else, the most important things that you can do to grow the business? Cause I remember being at 500 K and going, there's a thousand things I need to do. And I, and I was lucky where I started a business in SEO and I don't know SEO. Um, despite I, I know how to talk about it and I know how to sell it, but I, I, I never knew SEO. I sold it cause I love the idea of selling a reoccurring uh, amount. And so you don't have to be good at the thing that you create or the thing that you sell. You have to be good at like creating value with it. And so the thing that helped me grow was that I couldn't do the fulfillment. I was, I never had the opportunity. So I had to find the right people, make sure it created that value, make sure it got the outcomes. And I was just always focused on selling at the beginning stages. Like as long as you're creating the value and the outcomes and and producing value to your customer, sales is really, really important in your first 500 to a million dollars. And so that allowed me without necessarily being able to articulate the most important thing is driving up more sales and more customers into the business it allowed me to just focus on that, which I would argue ended up being one of the most important things I could have done is just bringing in more customers to the business. So don't be afraid of working within the business, read the book and, and then really think through what do you need to do? What is the most important thing that needs to get done in the next month and three months and six months and, and don't let off that. I love it. Travis, man, thank you so much for, for sharing. I know that there's, you know, so much value that, you know, is being given to all the listeners and, you know, just hoping that, you know, what we can do here is continuing to help people shorten that learning curve and, you know, continue to build a business beyond themselves. You know, I, I want to see people that are solopreneurs get out of that hamster wheel, build a business beyond themselves, have have a team that they can pour into, that they can create, you know, more jobs here for people and opportunities and, you know, serve their customers at a high level. So I, I, I appreciate you, you coming on and it, where, where would you want to direct people to if they're like, I want to learn more about Travis or what, what he does or his company, you know, where would you want people to go? Yeah, I would say probably my Instagram would be the easiest place to start. Cause it can funnel out to everything from there. You get to see me flying airplanes. You get to see my business reels on there and whatever it is. So just at Travis Weathers uh, is my Instagram handle. And so just, just, Instagram, Travis Weathers. And, you know, obviously if there's questions or they want to reach out, you can just direct message me and I'll, I'll pretty much reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you, Travis. And for everyone listening in, obviously, of course, if you're getting any value from this podcast, the only way that this thing grows is if you share this with your friends, give us a five-star review, help with that algorithm that uh, I don't fully understand how it works, but help me out with that algorithm. Give us a rating, share with your friends, and we'll catch you in the next episode.